This summer we have been in an ongoing conversation, which I've been so blessed by, not only on Sunday mornings, but following Sunday mornings, where people have been talking with me either personally, by email, about our conversations on terms and thoughts that are pretty common to the Christian vernacular, but I'm not sure we always know or feel comfortable that we know enough about what we're talking about. So we've talked about the Trinity, we've talked about forgiveness, we've talked about sin, and what would we say about those things? How might we talk about them? What are we thinking about them as they inform our Christian walk and our Christian witness? Um, Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to continue in that conversation. We're going to be taking a look at uh, what do we believe about other religions? What's our position as Christians in the way we look at other world faiths? Um, what is mission? It's a word we use all the time. We do a lot of mission, but what is mission? <laughs> a few weeks, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the afterlife, heaven and hell. Um, we're going to talk about why the church. Is the church still relevant? Is the church going to be needed in the future? Um, and uh, coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about the concept of Sabbath in our life. Today we're going to talk about a question that I think is uh, an assumption, quite frankly, in so much of our culture. And it's around that whole idea of, is good good enough? What does it mean to be good? And how would we know if we're good? And quite frankly, is it okay just to say we're good people? I've asked Beth to read it from Luke 23, which is obviously a part of the crucifixion story of Christ. I want you to listen to the interchange that occurs as Jesus and these others are on the cross about to die. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, They crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for the people of God. I'm going to invite you in the bulletin, there is on the inside panel, on this side, uh, the same scripture you just heard read, printed, and then some places where you can take notes. 
Uh, if you want to turn there and have that in front of you and want to make notes or thoughts, perhaps it will key some of your prayer and faith reflections in the week ahead. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? In a world where we're always striving to make sure that we are good enough, uh, in a life where we keep wondering if we could ever be good enough, and quite frankly in some of our lives where we go, yeah, we are good enough. We ask you to come and speak to us today to give us both conviction and assurance that you would help us find balance and faithfulness in our life. For those who come seeking direction, be their lighthouse. For those who need comfort, be the grace that they need. And for those who are wondering what this is all about, become for us more than just a curiosity. Become for us, Lord, our strength, the source of our identity and meaning. Pray this humbly through all of our efforts in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Part of my work as a pastor has me spend time with couples in preparation for their wedding. And back in the day when I started doing this ministry, I think there was more of an expectation, but maybe it's still subtly there, that at least for some couples, when they come to meet with me or any pastor to get ready for a wedding, particularly if they don't know me well, and sometimes I'm meeting couples for the first time when we start planning for their wedding, or maybe I'm meeting one of the couple for the first time, there is a question about what's the pastor going to do to us? And what am I going to put him through? You know, in some ways, I think there's a fear that I'm going to be there to just, you know, proselytize to them and convert them from whatever. Or maybe I'm actually trying to give them a pass-fail, like whether I think they are worthy or good enough to be married. It probably doesn't help that I, when my premarital counseling, do give an inventory to couples. And I spend a lot of time helping them to understand this is not a judgmental inventory. You can't flunk the test. Uh, This is not about determining whether or not you will have a 70th wedding anniversary or not. But simply taking a look at at what parts of your relationship are your strengths and what maybe are some of your challenges and how can we make your strengths stronger and how can we help your challenge areas grow and improve your strengths, not only between now and the wedding day, but give you some thoughts about going down the road. I know I can tell you this for a fact. People ask me, how many weddings have you done, Pastor Rick? And I, I really don't know. I, I didn't keep a meticulous count for 37, 36 years, 36 and a half years. Um, it's around 400. I'm ballparking it like that. And the other question people is, well, what's your track record? It's sort of like, you know, the greatest doc's website, you know, how, you know, how many malpractice suits has your doctor had? Well, how many of my couples have stayed married? And I say to folks very simply, I do one fantastic wedding. The marriage is on you. I got nothing. Once you walk out of here and get to the reception, I am in charge of nothing. So that's my disclaimer. But in giving them the inventory, I'm trying to help them 
both build a relationship with each other and, quite frankly, with me, so we have a more intimate wedding. In the inventory, it does try to describe the couple. It's not trying to judge them, but trying to give it some language we could use, like sometimes it will work with a couple that is a conflicted couple, that they don't have a lot of things that naturally they do automatically well. They're in love, but they really need to improve their communication, their conflict resolution, their finances, whatever. And sometimes we're working with a couple, and they're a traditional couple. You know, they're so, they got a basically good relationship in terms of their skill sets. Sometimes we're working with a harmonious couple. That's a couple that's really probably pretty good in either their communication or conflict resolution. And then finally, the inventory says there are some couples I work with that are vitalized couples. These are the couples who have strong skill sets, particularly in conflict resolution and communication. And, of course, couples are thrilled to find out they're a vitalized couple. I keep thinking I ought to give them a T-shirt that says, we're vitalized across the front when they walk out the door. All of this is to have a way of talking about the relationship, but it's not saying, are you good enough to get married? Is this relationship good enough to take to the next level? Though it's difficult to get people to understand that because we often ask the question, are we good enough? This time of year, I think about this kind of question a lot. I, I wonder, now that training camps have opened, this year, will the Detroit Lions be good enough to get into the playoffs? Will Stafford have a good enough season to get us more than 10 wins? Right now, I'm pretty excited about where the Tigers are, but are they going to be good enough to humble Cleveland? This is my question in prayer. And, of course, coming up very soon are the Olympics where we have athletes from around the world who have been training with intensity that most of us could never imagine for years to get ready to go to Rio for an activity that may last as briefly as nine seconds to see whether or not they're good enough to get a medal or good enough to be willing to have earned the right fully to be an Olympian. Being good enough is important. And in the world, and in the church, people talk about being good enough in some interesting ways. Why do you come to church? Well, sometimes people give the answer, because I'm a good person, or because I want to be a good person. And sometimes folks who are outside of the church will look at church people and say, well, they don't look like any better people than us. They're no gooder than us. The place I often hear people talk about folks being good or not is that that other venue I go to a lot of times in my life, and that's funerals. How many times do I hear people say, this person was such a good person? I often hear people, because they know I'm the clergy, they'll say it to me this way. Well, I know that so-and-so didn't go to church, but they were such a good person, you know that they just flew right through the toll gate going into heaven. To which i got to say, well, first of all, the Bible doesn't say there's a toll gate, but I digress. Or they'll, they'll talk about the fact that maybe somebody didn't live a really good life, and they wonder, they just wonder what might be next. There's this common understanding out there that good people go to heaven and bad people don't. Have you heard that? Have you even assumed it, said maybe to somebody, well, so-and-so was really good, so 
So I'm not worried about where they are today. And so oftentimes the conversation about being good or not good enough talks about the afterlife. Well, can we do this right now? Can we set aside conversations about eternal blessing or, or judgment? Can we not talk about the afterlife today? We'll be talking about that in about three weeks. But I don't want to talk about the afterlife now in, t- in conjunction with being good enough. One, because I find most people who are outside the church really pay very little attention to the afterlife. Many don't even think it's a relevant conversation. I want to talk about this idea about being good enough and apply it today to talk about our walk of faith today, the way we live our life today. So can we just stay with that for right now and not get into heaven or hell until a few weeks from now? I'd, lo- I'd like to ask you to restrain from getting to that, that conversation. The idea of being a good person seems to make sense to a lot of people in the world, and, and we strive to be good people. We say to our families, to our children, to our spouses, Go out and have a good day. We say, go out and be a good person. We set that as sort of the goal for our... our, I I want to raise good kids. I want to have a good marriage. I want to have a good job. And we use that term because I think it makes sense to us. We sort of think logically that if we're good people, then we ought to have good things happen to us, cause and effect. If... If our God is a good God, then God must want us to be good people. So that's what I'm going to strive to be. I think that's what people think logically just makes sense. And so our goal is to be good, and therefore our goal is also not to be bad. And we believe, somehow, we do believe, I think across the board, and I think culture believes, that good people get rewarded. in spite of the evidence. And when somebody who's a good person has something bad happen in their life, we think that is amazingly unfair. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And it bothers us as if somehow their goodness should have prevented that or our goodness should have prevented that. Am I clear? Do you understand how people think those things? I think we do. But there are problems with the idea that good is our goal, that good is good enough. First of all, what is being good enough? How do you know when you're good? Our definitions are not the same. My parents taught me what a good boy was, but that may be different than how you were taught to be a good child. Your expectations of your children being good may be different from another person's. Your expectations of a child being good is that they graduate with a master's degree from an Ivy League school. Other families may be that they don't get incarcerated more than three times by their 21. And I'm not kidding coming where the people come from, we have very different levels of expectations of what good is. And so, how do I know when I'm being good? Whose measuring stick am I using? And when I'm judging whether you're good or bad, because let's be honest, we do that, don't we? Am I measuring against 
measuring you against your understanding of goodness or mine. It's all across the board. And so it's difficult to say good is being good enough because we can't even come to a common understanding of what that looks like, what it should be. Our environment changes that. And the rules that define goodness changes that. It's, it's like this. Let's pretend, let's pretend that this is a class. And it's a college class, okay? And, uh, and I'm the professor on the first day. So I get up. And you've come in the room already, you've discovered several things. There's no syllabus, and there's no reading list. There's nothing for you to have in your hand to help you know what this class is going to look at. And so I get up and say, welcome class, I'm glad you're here. My name is Rick Dake. I'm going to be the instructor for this class. Glad you all showed up today. This is a three and a half month class. And three and a half months from now will be the final. It will be held at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we'll be back here in this room. Thanks for showing up. I'll see you later. Now, before I get out the door, hopefully there's somebody here who's going to say, but wait a minute. What's the class about? And I'm going to say, well, that's sort of up for you to figure out. Well, what's the reading list? Well, I don't know. You have to decide that. But what am I going to be tested on? Well, you'll find out when you take the test. Would you think that's a fair class? Knowing there's one test, pass, fail. No, you would think that's a ridiculous class. You want to have some guidelines. You want to know what, what it takes to be successful in this class, to be a good student. And use the Olympic image. Let's say you were all runners. I mean, look at this. You all look like runners. Well, through my eyes, you all look like runners. Just go with me, okay? And so you get to Rio, and you discover that all of the runners, surprise, in addition to the race that they've been preparing for, have to be able to, to, be able to compete in their race have to compete in this ultimate race. So we get all together. And I say to you, on Thursday is the race you didn't know about. See you at 3 in the afternoon. Well, somebody's going to want to know, well, what kind of race? Well, you'll find out when we get started. How far? You'll find that out when we award the medals. Are we running around the track? Are we running a marathon? Are we going up the hill? I mean, you want to know those things, right? Otherwise, you could be running for days. And someone else could run for 10 seconds, and you don't know who's going to get the medal. For us to be able to figure out what it is for us to live our life, we need to have some sense of understanding or perspective or guidelines or template to say, here's what we're striving to. And it's more than just what I think. It's more than just what I feel. I was having a conversation after the first service with somebody on the steps, and they were talking about how they often go with their gut. How many of you go with your gut? How many of you do that? It's okay to, it's okay to say that. All right, I'm not, I'm not knocking that, because I'll be honest with you, intuition's a critical part of my 
my discernment as well. I think you have to take a look at your intuition. But I want to tell you, uninformed intuition can take you a lot of places. Just because you feel something doesn't necessarily tell you you're making the right decision. Sometimes the hardest decisions don't make you feel good, but you have to do them. Can I get an amen for that? And as I look around the culture, it seems to me intuition living is not working out well for an awful lot of people. What I want to suggest to you today is that as Christians, of course you want to be good people. But that's too vague. As Christians, we believe that Jesus came to give us an example both in the way he lived and what he taught, about what we're called to be. What we're called to accomplish and have meaning, and where do we find meaning and purpose in our life. As Christians, we immediately start by going first to Christ. That informs me as to how I'm living my day today, whether or not I'm on the beam, whether I'm in the right path for the race, whether or not I'm fulfilling what God always intended me to be able to do today. So I don't want to say, have a good day, Jeff. I want to say, be faithful. Those are different meanings. And in Luke 23... I believe Jesus blows up the concept of good being good enough. In Luke 23, we see this crucifixion scene. Jesus is on the cross, and in Luke, there are two others, at least two others, being crucified at the same time. We often think of them as thieves. They're not thieves. Okay? They didn't crucify thieves in that day any more than we crucify thieves. Back in the day, they made thieves become slaves for a period of time. Now, if you're getting crucified, you did more than steal something. You did some really bad stuff, which is self-identified here by one of the people on the cross, confessing the fact they actually deserve to die, they know it. But in the spirit of what's happening, where the leaders who are doing the crucifixion, the soldiers who are doing the crucifixion, there's a guy hanging to the left of Jesus who is just, it says, deriding him, mocking him. And I don't know if you heard Beth read that passage, but she sounded sarcastic and snarly, which is, you know, you must have really worked at that, Beth, you know. But So, I mean, that's right. It was just sarcasm and hatred and disgust. And I mean, the guy's dying, and he quit, can't quit being this kind of way. The other one says, why are you doing that? Jesus didn't deserve to be dying because, man, what little I know about him is enough to know he didn't deserve this. I deserve it. You deserve it. So we've got a guy dying on a cross, last breath. I mean, it's hard to breathe when you're dying on a cross. So every word is precious. And he says, will you remember me in your kingdom? He doesn't say, Jesus, if you'll get me out of this, I promise I'll be good tomorrow. There's no tomorrow he's going to be good at. He can't make up for anything. 
In a few hours, it's over. It's done. So he can't say, give me a second chance, Jesus, and I'm going to make sure I get it right the next time. All he can do is say to Jesus, hey, would you remember me at least in your kingdom? And Jesus, knowing this guy, Jesus knowing this guy knows himself well enough to know that by any definition he's not a good person, turns to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Straight to the top of the line. I want to tell you, this is a teaching about more than just getting into heaven. This is how we as Christians function. It is by focusing, it is by doing exactly what the thief on the cross did, this guy hanging on the cross did, that helps us live our faith walk. Because I'm not trying to be just a good person in the community. I'm here. I'm willing to say I'm trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I expect that's why you're here too. So for us, it is by focusing on Jesus. I'm not worried about just trying to be good enough today. I'm really asking the question, what would Jesus want of me today? How can I reflect Jesus in what I do or say today? And that's what I'm striving for. Not being good. And it's not about whether I get into heaven or hell. And it's not about whether I get to judge you, whether you're going to get into heaven or hell. Because if I'm trying to be like Jesus... I lay that judgment down. This is not about condemnation for anyone else. It's about a calling for us to say, as Christians, I'm not trying to be good, I'm trying to be faithful. And no matter what my background says, no matter how affluent I've been, how blessed I've been with talents and resources, or whether or not I've come from a broken, disastrous background, and whether I have no resources at all and limited skills, None of that defines me. Where I am today, how can I be most faithful to the Christ who's called me? And so, what I want to say to you today is, being good, or seeing that being good is good enough, is not even really how I think Christians are to think. I don't want someone to say I was a good person I want someone to say, isn't it amazing to see what Christ did through him? And in the places where I'm less than good, where I can't even get close to good, I can't even fake being good, let that be the place where they see Christ. And the places where I have talent or ability or I get something right, let that glory go to Christ. Because that's where I'll find meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Let that be what we teach our children. I'm not worried about you being measured up to the rest of the kids in your class or to what else this family has done historically or wounded by the same. Focus on Christ and see where Christ will take you. Because faithful will always be better than good. Faithful will give you meaning and purpose even when bad things happen to you. That's why people get thrown when bad things happen, because if they've been relying on goodness, that fades away. But when terrible things happen, 
Christ does not abandon us. Our faith doesn't have to leave. So I hope that today you have more than a good day. I hope you have a day where at the end of it you can at least say you did everything you could to be faithful. And the places where you and I will still not get that right, we will hear Jesus turn to us and say, hey, don't sweat it. Because I'm remembering you and I'm still with you. Let that be our legacy. And let that be what we strive after. To the glory of God. Amen.